Hey, it's your host, Omar, and welcome to The Curiosity Project. In today's episode on Conversations With, I'll be talking to my friend, Michael Tenusis, the co-founder of Aqua Amore. We will be discussing Michael's history, the science behind mineral water, and understanding the idea of aqua mineralogy. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Oh, mate. But no, Michael, I have to say, thanks so much, mate, for, for jumping on. Um, you know, we've worked on loads of stuff together. Um, we've done mm-hmm. quite a few episodes. You were, do you know you were officially the first ever guest to come on the show? Do you remember when we called you on um, over a phone call? Yeah. Right, I didn't know I was the first ever guest. You were the first ever person to ever talk apart from myself and Umar on the show ever. I didn't realize that. Well, yeah. So you have that accolade. <laughs> a pretty low bar for everyone else to. <laughs> no, I doubt on. that. I doubt that. No, it was it was received very well, mate. It was it was received very well. Um, you know, you. I think it was with regards to the uh, to the glass on the Svalbardy bottles or something along those lines. Um, mm. uh, and uh, you kind of explained some of the uh, manufacturing processes involved in in that particular thing. So it was very cool. But yeah, you've got that accolade. So there you go. No one's ever going to take that from you. Well, ironically, that 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 issue itself has been the downfall of Svalbardi. So we haven't had that right? since. Mm. Yeah, they've had uh, they've had a falling out with their bottler, as far as, as far as I understand, and they really compromised them. Yeah. Oh my God. So. Yeah, so we've got to find another another luxury water to to fill the to fill the demands because people like giving these items as gifts or just trying them out. Yeah, it's um, it's it's more of an experiential thing, isn't it? As opposed to you know drinking it every day for something else, it's more like, hey, I'm going to whip out the hundred pound bottle tonight for for of water. Yeah, inevitably, yeah. yeah. I mean, unless it's preference, yeah. Yeah, unless you've got extremely high-end taste like Matt Damon. I think uh, that's the uh, that's the guy that they plaster all over the articles, isn't it? This is Matt Damon's favourite water. Oh, uh, well, I mean, if you've gone around saving so many people uh, over a campaign <laughs> of, uh, of, of justice after having been brainwashed, then I'm not really surprised that, you know, you deserve those things. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. But Michael, I'll t- listen, I, I, I know you inside out now. We've become we've become very good friends, um, uh, which is uh, it's it's my pleasure to be able to say that. But um, listen, my audience haven't been able to spend the kind of time that I have with you. So before we kind of get into things, before we get into the, uh, the, the belly of the discussion, why don't you tell my audience who are you, what you do and who is Aquamori? Um, okay. There's a, there's a film from the 1990s called House Party, and uh, it features uh, a rap couple called Kid and Play. And uh, Kid is uh, put on the spot during one of the house parties he's not supposed to attend, and, you know, he likes writing his own lyrics. And he says, uh, I'm just a guy who likes to think differently. The way things are aren't always how they ought to be. Right. Uh, that, that, that summarizes how I am, who I am, if you like. So let's say a counterintuitive thinker. Um, Aquamore is a company that I started in 2007 in order to explore the world of commercial enterprise and experience what it was like for myself to run a business and be involved in the mechanics of 
how our capitalist society works, because I felt as if I had been really shielded from that uh, growing up and uh, studying philosophy at university and a subsequent couple of jobs in, in sales. So I didn't really feel as if I... Can you hear me again? Yeah, good. I, 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 I didn't really feel as if I was getting under the skin of of, of business and you know how 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 money works and how how anything works really so i was really keen to start a business and uh aquamore was the most likely thing that i thought of because i noticed that there were lots of bottles of water being sold in europe and america but nothing in the uk so um that, that was about as much market research as we did um and that was in 2007 um and um the the rest has been um yeah a mixed bag of um learning and experience and an element of innovation too sure it's it's quite interesting that, kind of cause... That, what does that mean was that all of your questions yeah 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 uh, totally i mean it's questions that i you did um I mean, it's 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 fairly interesting, particularly when I start talking to you about the your your story of getting into water. Uh, essentially, that's what it is, and you've got some some interesting stories with with regards to that of exactly how you got into it. I mean, there's one thing of going into a business for the sake of business, right? But there's a certain level of passion that you have, which I I, I I've picked up on the first time we spoke. Where where did that come from? You know, what why did you get so so hot over? Over, over water, what was the situation there? What ignited that passion? Well, I felt it was interesting. I, I, felt, I felt it was interesting. I felt it was something that we didn't understand in the UK and wasn't really catered for. And I felt simply the void of anything to cater for an interest was interesting in of itself. So I think that the, the fact that these products weren't available to people yet, they were just water, you know? uh made it interesting because there already were a number of waters available those vitel then being sold in the uk in the supermarkets as the premium water above evian um mm -hmm. and i remember when i was uh, in a job we bought three bottles of evian volvic and vitel i think and uh, we we did a taste test with my mates to try and figure out what the difference was between them and sure. um and it was we, we noticed something but there wasn't there wasn't much meaningful commentary that we could add simply because it's very difficult to communicate what was going on with water I mean, there's no smell and there's no taste so i was aware that they were different and the bottles were beautiful as well so obviously there was a lot of love and care being put into them which indicated there was an established industry if there was an established industry it meant that they were uh, there was longevity to it so that appeals to me also um and it was something with a fairly low bar of entry as well i mean i didn't need to have uh studied or gained any prior certificates in order to enter that field so it was just really shifting boxes uh but in but in a slightly uh differentiated market so that sure was, uh, I mean, that was appealing that i i guess that makes sense um we're definitely going to be talking about this kind of uh, semantics, lack of semantics and lack of vocabulary when it comes to experience, when it comes to describing what you're experiencing when it comes to water. Because there's some really interesting studies that I've been researching recently, 
with regards to uh, you know, official evidence of recognizing the ability of people to be able to identify certain uh, minerals in water, um, which is which is quite fascinating. So we're going to get into that a bit later. But mm-hmm. the, the 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 fascinating thing that that I've definitely found is when we're when we're talking about things like water, there is this broad idea that water is water you know you've got bottled water you've got cheap stuff you've got expensive stuff the cheap stuff are in plastic bottles the expensive stuff are in glass bottles you've got tap water london tap water tastes like crap um scottish tap water tastes lovely because it's probably directly you know plugged in into a spring or something like that you know <laughs> so it's it's but it's 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 unusual that when you're looking at things to go into business for that you pick something which is widely recognized as already very well understood and something that's an afterthought when people are consuming that particular um uh, commodity one of the first um, one of the first attempts to really try and figure out what it was that I was selling was stimulated by an associate I had at the time uh, who was uh, into wine, and he suggested that we started tasting water with wine to try and figure out how one could affect the other. And mm. that was a very interesting project called Minerals and Terroir, which we um, ran at a Michelin star restaurant, or was it two Michelin stars? I think it's two, at uh, in Pimlico called Roussillon at the time. It's closed now. But um, that was run, the chef there was Alexis Gauthier, who's now quite a prominent uh, vegan chef. So his restaurants are oh. just vegan. Yeah, he was a protege of Alan Ducasse. And... Um, oh, cool. Could you, uh, before, before you carry on, Michael, could you just explain what terroir means? What, what is that? Um, terroir is not only a physical origin, but also a almost a metaphysical concept that combines with, uh, with the physical to create a sense of place in wine, if you like. So um, it's a wine specific term really. And it's a combination of the soil, the vines, the climate, the grape production, uh, and the man, the, the man-made and the natural influences as well. So it's a sense of place, you know, it's like you can, you can, you can, feel the sunshine in the wine, you know, on the side sure, of the hill. Sure, sure. That, that it, phrase where uh, Tuscan olive oil tastes like the Tuscan sun, right? Right. So it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a factual, but partially, as far as I can infer, and there are probably listeners that will be able to set us straight in the commentary or at least give another version. As far as I can tell, and I've been around wine people for a while now. It's um, it's it's partially a metaphysical thing. It's a bit nostalgic as well. As it's a, a bit romantic. Yeah, because enology is really the study of look how is this wine made and what the factors go into it. So what's terroir? <laughs> terroir is the sure. notion, it's, a, it's a notion. It's a it's a it's a it's a romanticized notion of what is encapsulated in a bottle of wine i'm with you but that that could be quite um uh, that that could become that could 
in, in my head, it seems as though that the idea of terroir could potentially be translated into the go from the metaphysical to the physical when you're talking about water. So in particular, a water that um, uh, I've I've had a bit of experience with and spoken to you about is 22 Artesian, um, which I, I think the spring is based in uh, Rioja yeah, uh, in Spain. And and the, the, the terroir over there has a genuine effect on the mineral content on that particular water, right? So in that respect... It's a fairly physical, uh, a physical thing. Well, I mean, is it why using the word terroir? I mean, it's for me, it's provenance. Sure. Yeah, it's about it's as simple as that. You know, water has provenance, and water is the uh, mineral water is the very articulation of provenance. So people look uh, look to identify where has my product originated. Well, the provenance of twenty two artesian is the um, the rocks that are formed of the ancient sea near Logroño in La Rioja, which are full of uh, ancient fossils. And so they allow the water to um, to dissolve those fossils and, and get quite high levels of magnesium and calcium. Interesting. Now, you, one other thing that you mentioned earlier, Michael, and I just want to kind of clarify this, is you, when you were talking about the barrier to entry or bar to entry, rather, in the water industry, um, I, I, I do want to kind of clarify this, because as far as I'm concerned, there are genuine academies that are maybe not when you were getting involved, but I, I do know now there are genuine academies and there are certifications involved and uh, similar to wine uh, becoming a wine sommelier, maybe not, not, not so stringent. Um, but uh, if you could just clarify that for the audience a little bit. Yeah, so when I started, I don't believe that there are any formal, although having said that, when I, um, when we did minerals and terroir, when we tasted water with wine, and mm. uh, in order to understand how to taste water before we started tasting alongside wine, we referred to San Pellegrino's Water Codex, which they created in about 2008 or so. And basically, they commissioned the Italian Association of Sommeliers, wine sommeliers, to, to define the taste of water. And so they had a one pager on this in this tome, which was dedicated to how San Pellegrino, how Copana pairs well with which wines. And so really, that's the only material that we could find to go up to understand, OK, let's start to explore water and even though it's a little esoteric and quite complex it's quite impenetrable at times we managed to at least disseminate it enough that we could apply our interpretation of each category uh, things like softness lightness sapidity um balance harmony etc etc all of these things to the waters that we were trying, which was about 21 mm. of them. And we, we managed to articulate there in, a, in graph form, once we got the data onto Excel, um, how varied the experience of water was from beginning to end. You know, that was really the first dive into our experience, but there weren't any formal training beyond that, really. Um, so, then uh, I started realizing, and then in what is it, 2017, I came across an international course for a water sommelier certification program. And that mm. was the, um, a, a course run by a beer academy in a suburb of Munich 
uh, called Grafelping. And um, this was run by Dumans. And um, it was a two week course. So I attended that and that was very insightful on um, regulations and um, geology and chemistry particularly. So it really gave you, um, uh, it, it gave one a, a more thorough understanding of the origins of mineral water and also the very strict legislation of which it's the most highly regulated foodstuff in the EU and, and, and by association now post-Brexit, the UK. And um, that was quite insightful because I, I really hadn't appreciated until then just how much regulation there was surrounding mineral water and why? Well, because it's so important it possesses minerals, which is something we, we can explore further. But um, since then, there is another, there's a Fine Waters Academy in the US and that is run by Michael Masher and um, a water sommelier personality called Martin Lisa. And um, I believe there is, um, there is a South Korean course and a Chinese course. And there is a, another course in Taiwan that is run by a couple of friends of mine that attended the Dumans Academy. And they are um, training a version of the Dumans Water Sommelier Certification. However, um, none of these certifications, none of these English language certifications I can't comment on the South Korean or the um, or the Chinese one. None of these certifications leave you with a formalized and rigorous sensory training so that you are able to leave the course confident that you can identify and articulate uh, mineral waters correctly, or at least a finite set of mineral waters uh, that you've been training on so that you can disseminate them on your palates uh, so so there isn't really that whole area of what a sommelier should be and um, my french isn't brilliant but i think some means mouth so it's it's to do with something in your mouth i don't think that is broached by any of the water sommelier programs at present i think it's more focused on what i learned at dumans and in the case of fine waters possibly the the let's say the ritual and economic presentations of fine waters uh, and what is a fine water that could be defined as perhaps um a water that is uh small enough to consider themselves a fine water as opposed sure. to a commercial success sure yeah so I mean, you've you've mentioned all these different certifications and bodies that that are genuine, you know, um, uh, education bodies. Let's call them or, or authorizing agencies, whatever you want to call them. Um, and I I see you've mentioned Germany, you've mentioned South Korea, you've mentioned China, but you haven't mentioned the UK. And it's it's fairly interesting to me that because it seems as though that there is this genuine water culture talking to you and learning about. Um, you know, where some of the great waters are coming from. I mean, they're not really coming from the UK. It doesn't seem as though that the UK have adopted this water culture that there is in Europe. Why, why, why do you feel that is? Well, it's, it's, it's geology, Omar, because um, uh, the, the Europe, continental Europe, have a number of uh, volcanic regions. And hmm. volcanic regions um, allow for more highly mineralized natural mineral waters. So, for example... 
just to articulate for your for the listeners, a water that is defined as being rich in minerals by the EU is greater than 1500 milligrams per liter. So that's 1.5 grams of mineral salts in every liter. And that is measured by boiling away the water and weighing the mineral salts that remain, okay, in one liter. And um, in Europe, we have examples. Um, well, if we, if we extend Europe as far as Russia, say, we have example of waters that are up to 20,000 milligrams per litre. Jesus, really? God. <laughs> so that's, that's really quite high. Um, but typically, a naturally carbonated water will be around two to 4,000 milligrams per litre. So, you know, they are, nice. that is enough that the mineral salts have a flavour impact on one's palate. And they emerge from the grounds um, generally warm. So in the case of Vichy Catalan, at 59 degrees and carbonated. Uh, but uh, this, this does extend to non-carbonated waters as well. I mean, uh, a water like Hepa from the town of Vitel is around 2,500 milligrams per litre also. Uh, so, you know, these are the presence of volcanic regions and the, the water is able to absorb more minerals in these regions. And um, certainly when, um, when natural carbonic acid is uh, introduced by virtue of the presence of a fissure of volcanic gas, for example, that heats up the water and the, the CO2 must make it more volatile and it must absorb far more minerals because they're generally highly mineralized. Not in all cases, because Perrier, for example, is a naturally carbonated natural mineral water, but that's only about 400, 500 milligrams per liter. But right. digressing too far, that was just to set the, set the background for your, for your listeners and for yourself. Um, in the UK, we don't really have mineral waters that exceed two or 300 milligrams per liter. So we don't have a culture of wellness associated with the rich level of minerals that can be uh, experienced in continental Europe. So we won't really have had an experience of consuming mineral waters that are beneficial for one's physiology, because the minerals in mineral water are some of the most highly bioavailable for many foodstuffs. So a magnesium presence in water will be very highly available to your body. So, and they're very easily absorbed. So, you know, this is the kind of thing in the UK that we just don't appreciate because we haven't grown up with the awareness of these waters. And also they, 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 they let's use the misnomer of taste. You know, they taste very thick or salty or, you know, it's very, it's anathema to our taste buds natively to, 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 to or let's say, let's say societally. To, 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 to consume these waters naturally, because it feels like there's something wrong with them, you know. Um, the caveat there is that the hot springs that are captured at the Royal Baths in Bath, they are the only known thermal springs in the UK, and thermal is defined as greater than 40 degrees Celsius at the source. Um, that, that water is about 5,000 milligrams per litre. So that is the, yeah, so that is the only known source of, of naturally carbonated and highly mineralized and thermal water in the UK, in the British Isles, in fact. Mm. So, so that, 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 and, and the Romans who were aware of the 
quality of water, zoned in on that and built a, you know, built baths there, you know, mm. in order to, in order to benefit from the from the mineral richness of the of the water. I mean, this 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 idea of bioavailability is is mm. something that really rocked my world when I when I when I started diving into this. You first opened me up to it, and I. I, I as I, as I normally do, I end up going down a rabbit hole, um, and it was really quite fascinating for me. You know, kind of, and and the the funny thing is, is that the idea of water being the most bioavailable source of minerals um, on Earth uh, is not something that's new. It's widely researched and widely accepted within the scientific community. Um, uh, that uh, by chemists and biologists alike. And nutritionists as well. That water is an ex- is the most bioavailable source of minerals on Earth, mm. and it's very very interesting to me. And I remember when I when I when I got back in touch with you and I said, "Hey, listen, I've done some research on this and this and this," and you told me a few of the kind of habits that people in Italy and Spain have when it comes to water. Could you just um, reiterate some of those habits? It's quite interesting. Well, I've been asked speaking with a urologist the other day. And mm. his uh, his patients asked him, what kind of water should I be drinking? And he said, well, tap water is fine. I said to him, but for, for kidney stones, for kidney stones. That's what they're oh, asking. my God. And I said to him, well, in Italy, they consume Fuji water because it's well-known and well-researched that it helps to break down kidney stones specifically. Oh, and he was, he was quite surprised by this. Uh, he, he'd never heard that before. So... That is one example of how, given the right culture and awareness of a natural product and an appreciation of it, the the academic world investigates it further and comes out with some conclusions, you know, which are, which are useful to people. Um, so we have customers who have been guided by doctors in France to consume Vichy Celestan for their gout to alleviate symptoms of gout. And I've, I've done some reading on it subsequently. And, you know, gout, hydration does really help with gout. It really does help a lot. So a combination of these very high minerals, possibly the sodium in Vichy Celestan, really helps to alleviate the symptoms of gout. And this particular chap uh, specifically, he's been our customer since 2009 or so, down in Chichester. Wow. Yeah, he just buys a load at a time. He just makes sure he always has access to the water so he's always stocked up yeah yeah um another one which uh was we had a customer who wanted us to verify the silica contents on the label on the bottles of fiji in our warehouse because they differed from the ones you bought in waitrose differed from the declaration on our website and it's true um natural mineral water sources are permitted to vary within certain parameters over time and the labeling has got to keep up with it so it's plausible that information on our website can creep a little from the current uh, the most recent labeling um and so so we did that we, we humored her i thought we were humoring her to be honest sure with you, you so maybe we, thought she was being a bit too pedantic yes but i mean having having run a water company for so long it's really difficult to anticipate what people's interests are in water because it's such a a catch-all for oh yeah for beliefs and aware for beliefs and awareness right so i couldn't dismiss it out of hand so um 
So we, 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 we sent her the images and I asked her why. And she said that her son has autism. And, and, and autism is linked to aluminium toxicity. And aluminium toxicity is an area of uh, academia that I believe has been very under-researched um, because there isn't much funding for it, because aluminium is pervasive everywhere. But yeah, it hasn't really been in all of human civilization until we figured out how to industrialize and manufacture aluminium. So it's not really supposed to interact with, uh, with organic substances you know, uh, when it hasn't been consumed. And the takeaway from this is that it's an underlying cause of certain, um, certain issues in the human system, such as Alzheimer's, Asperger's, autism, um, maybe or not those specifically, or maybe, maybe or not others as well. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in these areas, but nevertheless, silica in water is the only known substance to flush aluminium toxicity from the body. And the scientist who, who I read into, which is Chris Exley at the University of Kiel, they recommend 30 milligrams, uh, uh, 30 milligrams per day, at least, of silica in order to maintain the flushing of aluminium toxicity from one's body, which I thought was quite remarkable, really, because, you know, for, the, for me, that really framed this sense of water as a means to an end, as a vessel, mm -hmm. H2O as a vessel for minerals that can impact the physiology. And I subsequently had that echoed back to me when I went to the um, Water Sommelier course in Dumans in Germany, because the guy who runs it, Dr. Peter Schropp, is a chemist. Uh, so he, he is, he, he's quite thorough on the effects of minerals. And he mentioned that uh, silica is flushes aluminium toxicity from the body. So, and this was within a space of a few months. So I heard it independently from two different sources and academic sources that, um, that, that silica had this effect on the body, which I thought was quite remarkable and really framed for me a sense of we're really missing a trick here <laughs> in the UK, particularly. So, I mean, like this, 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 this research that you mentioned with regards to silica really, really switched a light bulb in my head when you mentioned the story to me. And I decided to do a further research on this and try and understand where's the credence coming from. And in fact, I, I, at the same time, I had this great uh, obsession with magnesium, you know, as someone who's who's extremely uh, passionate about, you know, great gut health. I think it's extremely important. And unfortunately, with, you know, so many processed foods that we have nowadays, the the beneficial gut flora in our stomachs are just being robbed from us. It's, it's a terrible thing. You know, people are now suffering from bloated feelings uh, as if it's something normal uh, when it really isn't. Um, you know, it's not something that's um, uh, um, our body is used to. It's something that's fairly uh, been introduced to our digestive systems only within the last few decades. Um, where for thousands of years previously, our bodies were used to consuming natural organic foods. Mm. So, you know, I, th I think it's really a, a massive shame. So it was fairly interesting. And I don't, I don't know if you know about this, but there's this really interesting um, meeting point, this kind of uh, intersection of silica benefits and magnesium benefits. 
which is fairly interesting. And there's a particular study, I, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, so it, it, magnesium is essentially three, there's three different types of magnesium. You've got magnesium citrate, magnesium theronate, and magnesium glycinate or glycerin, something along those lines. Uh, glycine, magnesium glycine. Um, waters that are high in magnesium theronate and also high in silica are perfect for people with brain trauma or learning difficulties or things like Asperger's or, you know, uh, problems with the brain, essentially, because of the combined effects of aluminium flushing. And magnesium theronate is probably one of the most researched supplements when it comes to healing the brain, when it comes to stimulating brain growth and brain activity. It's very, very fascinating. Mm. Yeah, well, you're the man, Omar. <laughs> you're, you're, you're my cue, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, you know, kind of even even going even going further than that, there's an interesting thing that you've recently been working on when it mm. comes to because you know turning the bottle around and seeing oh there's magnesium and there's all this and you know just to kind of make it very very clear. Uh, you know, we've uh, my, myself and Umar, my co-host, we've we've done a, a water tasting on an episode um, where you and I uh, had developed this kind of uh, let's call it a, a a chart of different effects that water can have on your palate, whether it's thickness or texture or effervescence, if it's a um, um, if it's a sparkling water or um, uh, this thing, wh wh whether it's watery or milky. And, you know, it sounds really silly when you put it that way, because water yeah. is going to be watery. But it really isn't when you try something else. And, you know, that's been received extremely well. We had, you know, um, hundreds of people that reached out to me and, you know, over 100,000 people who, who listened to that episode yeah. um, who have engaged in this tasting. And I've received hundreds of messages of people saying, my God, there's a huge difference between Volvic and Evian. I'm getting it. You know, um, this is very, very interesting stuff. And at the end of the day, and I've said this to you on numerous occasions, whenever you have a naysayer when it comes to water tasting or whatever it is, you know, water is water, that kind of chap. When you ask them what your favorite water is, everyone has an answer. Really? Everyone has an answer. You know, it, and, and it's funny because they're immediately contradicting themselves because if water is water, then you shouldn't have a favorite water. Yeah. You know, uh, the moment you say to someone, oh, do you like Volvic? Ah, no, I, I don't like the taste. Boom. Yeah. That's it. Immediate for immediate contradiction right there. Yeah. Because there is and the water is having an effect on your palate, whether it's a, a TRC response, a taste receptor cell response, whatever it might be. Um, there is an effect. And you, my friend, have decided to take upon the mantle, take upon the torch of trying to solve this problem. Yeah. Like, what are you like, doing? I told you, I'm just a guy who likes to think differently. <laughs> well, you're you a madman. How they ought to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it really is a mammoth task because you're dealing with the most consumed um, liquid commodity in the world. You're dealing with something that, you know, if we if 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 we don't drink for more than three days, we die. So it's it's necessary for survival as well. Uh, this is this is a this is a big task you're dealing with, mate. Um, 
In fact, in fact, the world record for fasting is 362 days. Do you know that? I think that's, I think that's uh, food fasting. I don't think that's water as well. Exactly. So, so, so my point is that you can't do that without water. You can survive yes. without food, you know? Um, so, so absolutely right. Um, but then again, if you go into some of these ashrams, uh, in India, um, th- there are, there are, um, uh, uh, monks over there that will t- that will tell you that they've been fasting for like twenty years, mm. you know. So you, if you if you go into the official books, yeah, it's like a year. But you know, some of these uh, some of these uh, swamis in in ashrams across India, they fast for years and years and years. It's their way well, of the, worshiping their gods. Well, but it's also the Buddhists as a way of preparing yourself for immortality because you essentially um, calcify and and and. Um, uh, dehydrate your body from the inside out and embalm it you'll embalm your body from the inside out Jesus. and then have you never have you ever heard about this and then no i've heard of that yeah they said you know uh, good, goodbye omar listeners i'm sorry i'm just going to send omar <laughs> down a rabbit hole now uh, so basically <clears throat> um there's a, a very certain sect of, of buddhism where they believe in immortality and they in self-embalming. So, so they self-embalm through feeding them, so, so through fasting for many years, but then approaching their death, essentially feeding themselves a very certain specific diet of seeds, which gradually poisons them and also dehydrates them from the inside out, embalms them from the inside out. And then they're, they're, they're literally encased in their um in their sarcophagus if you like um with a breathing hole until they um allow themselves to perish and so they are self-embalmed holy shit yeah this is a modern practice Mm, it may still go on but there are definitely um, examples of such corpses which are which exist that can be that can be researched yeah Holy moly! Yeah, it's 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 crazy. <laughs> wow! Yeah. Oh my god! That that that's that's, that's intense. Yeah, that is intense. Yeah. Incredible. Jesus. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna look into that. That's quite that's quite interesting, actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you and your fasting suck. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's absolute lightweight. Sixteen-hour fast. Are you mad? Sixteen <laughs> years. I fast until I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, I fast in order to um to immortalize yeah exactly i fast to die that's what i do <laughs> yeah. um but, but yeah heart, the heart beats so slowly that they're just barely alive but it's it's, it's, it's in a catatonic state so you mm. can induce a coma through this fasting and self-poisoning but they are still alive but it's a catatonic state wow so it's, yeah, it's really amazing. Goodness me. Goodness yeah, so me. I mean, if it's, it's, yeah, go down. yeah, that's definitely quite interesting. But, oh, yeah. you know, I, th- I, th- I, th- I think something that most people can try out, because I would definitely not recommend embalming yourself with frickin' seeds and lack of water. <laughs> that's what we don't want. But what would be, what would be very interesting, though, is, like I said, we, we, we kind of went down this thing with, you know, texture and, and all that sort of stuff, and this hydration term that we kept saying, you know, when when we were tasting something like Spa Rain, which is very very low in TDS, in in mineral solids. Yeah, By yeah. the way, you you use a slightly different measurement to what I've been 
accustomed to, which is PPM. You use uh, something else. Can you just uh, t tell me what that's all about, just so I understand? A TDS and parts per million are effectively... Hmm, yeah, that's a good point. Parts per million. Hmm. Yeah, PPM. It's, it's not really widely used measure, PPM, not in, not in Europe. Uh, sure. TDS is, as I described earlier, which is the weight of mineral salts after a litre of water has been boiled away. Mm. So uh, parts per million, I'd have to remind myself, Omar, what that is. Um, it's not a very commonly used term, but it is out there. You are right. Um, the, 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 the common one that's interchanged is total dissolved solids and dry residue, which effectively mean the same thing. Sure. Um, then there's also conductivity is another measure of mineral water. Interesting. So measures the level of anions and cations. And the Italians... Oh, I remember you mentioning that to me, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, so that's a mu figure measured somehow. Sure, sure. But yeah, no, I always, I always thought that, um, you know, is there, a, is there a right way of doing it? But there's clearly different, different ways of, of, of measuring uh, TDS. Um, but I just want to kind of set the precedent before you get into this idea that you've been developing, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they, I, I've, I've done a bit of research and I've, I've come across two very, very interesting studies. One that was carried out in 2013 and another that was carried out in 2017. Okay. Now, for those who say that water doesn't taste of anything or water doesn't provide you with an experience, the only experience is either it's sparkling or it's still, which is an extremely popular um, stance. Um, without romanticizing things, let's look at the science behind it. And there were studies that were conducted, one in 2013, which was a blind test of 20 different bottled minerals um, with, um, um, with varying mineral contents uh, and 25 bottles of tap water samples. Uh, this was then conducted. Uh, I don't know what the sample size was, but it was it was big enough to be a trusted um, uh, study, a recognized study within the field of of uh, mineral science. Mm -hmm. um, and it was very, very clear that bicarbonate, sulfate, calcium and magnesium, those four uh, minerals were extremely discernible on the palate, extremely discernible on the palate. Um, in fact, they were so discernible that that study then showed that uh, water, particularly water rich in any of those four minerals, is extremely discernible on, on your taste receptor cells, your TRCs. Uh, the, the struggle that they were having, which is exactly what you've now decided to, I don't know if you know about this study, but it's no. interesting that the result of this study that they found confusing and potentially conflating is how to define the effect that it's having on the palate. So for those who know, the five major taste qualities is bitter, sweet, sour, salty, and umami. Yeah. And, yeah. And what they were finding confusing is what is the water doing on their palate for them to recognize these four minerals? What's happening? Where do we class this? Is, uh, are these five major taste qualities uh, fitting, the, uh, fitting a structure that could be able to define the way that these minerals are interacting with your taste buds or your taste recepting receptor cells. Mm -hmm. So what they decided is the one thing that they did find is that they decided to then group the only thing that they could really measure 
was the effect that sour water was having on your taste receptor cells because of the activation of the amygdala gland mm -hmm. in the brain. This was then extended further in a 2017 study, mm -hmm. which was conducted about, uh, they fed sour water to lab rats, essentially. Mm -hmm. And what they found is that sour tasting water, water with a, um, with, with a mineral content that created a sour taste or something that was this, or something that was recognized as sour by your TRCs caused the, the mice or the rats to drink more water. It wanted them to become more hydrated. Um, so they found that that was having an immediate effect on the amygdala. This is the only thing that they've been able to really discern when it comes to water. And they, they believe the reason why that reaction was happening is it's difficult to then translate that immediately over to humans, but they believe that we've got this innate ability to be able to, you know, do you remember the other day when we both got a package from uh, Willie's ACV? Yeah. And we both did exactly the same thing. They sent us a shot of apple cider yeah. vinegar and we downed it in one go. And then read on the back, uh, must be diluted. Must be diluted. <laughs> but we had it raw. That's now, the initial reaction for me was to try and run to the bathroom and throw it up. I, I had an immediate gag reflex. It was really intense, and I had burning for about 12 hours. I'm much tougher than you, but it did, it did, yeah. feel, it did feel as if I was sitting in my, in my uh, esophagus for really quite a while. You know, it was really quite heavy there. It was, it was. And it's that sour, because essentially that's being recognized as our body as acidic and sour. Uh, and our immediate reaction from our body is to get it out of our system. It's a natural response that our body has developed over, you know, thousands of years, hundreds of uh, hundreds of years um, to recognize sour foods as stuff that might make us sick. Mm. Acidic and sour foods are a result of the, um, you know, of the, um, uh, 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 the degradation process of, 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 of food. So it's bad for us. Spit it out. Not good. You're going to get sick. You're going to die. Um, so the, which is why it puts your body into this panic mode, into the survival mode, which makes you want to stock up on water, stock up on food, stuff like that, which is why the moment you've had something off, you start downing water. It's not to wash out the taste from your palate. It's in fact a survival response that your body's going through that's triggered by the amygdala. So it's, it's fairly interesting, but that's the only thing that through those two studies that have really been able to tie down. But... Mm -hmm. Like I said, they've only been able to find this sour thing, which still doesn't... I haven't really had water that tastes acidic or sour. Um, well, when, you say, when you say that, I think of, uh, like, if I was to send you sparkling spa, for example, or sparkling, mm. sparkling Loretana, or sparkling Larissia, or sparkling of any water that is low, very low in TDS. So let's say definitely waters that are less than 50 milligrams per liter, there is this strange effect where an, a, a, carbonated, a carbonated low mineral water will taste um, citrus, for want of a better description, lemony, mm. you know? It tastes like really, um, yeah, really sharp citrus experience, you know, in water. It's like someone's added, flavoring but you know maybe maybe but with 
not 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 necessarily lemon juice, but maybe a bit of the lemon oil from the rind. You know that type of sure. that type of unholy acidity that you're like, oh, God, <laughs> really? You know that bitter but, acidity. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the bitterness will come from the low minerals. Mm. So that combination. Um, so I would reckon. I, you know, I, I don't know what they mean, and I haven't read the study. But when you describe sour water. For me, that would be the closest I could experience to having got to that myself, you know, is definitely the introduction of, of, of CO2 to a very, very low mineral water. Sure, sure. And, 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 and I think that's the problem, though, when you say that, you know, I don't really understand what they're talking about when they say sour water. I don't think they know what they're talking about when they're talking about sour water, to be completely honest. Right. You know, like I said, they've they, they've got these five major tasting qualities and unfortunately, none of them, they're able to, you know, pigeonhole and say, oh, uh, in this study that was carried out in 2013, oh, okay, this sample tasted bitter, this sour tasted, this sample tasted sour, this one tasted salty, like, it's very difficult to be able to do that and to form yeah. consistency. And why is that? That's what I wanted to ask you. They don't uh, know. They have no idea. So what well, have you been working on? Because you've been working essentially on a solution. Well, yes. I mean, um, so you've, you've touched upon the fact that I introduced you to certain texture concepts that are associated with, with words and concepts that we already understand. So if I talk to you about milky, then you and anyone else listening is likely to be able to get a feeling of what the property of milkiness is likely to be. Or oily or viscous. Um, so so, so those are concepts that I realized at some stage were uh, presence in the experience of introducing water to the palate. Um, and through a combination of personal experiences, personal ex investigations, um, some training elements through the Dumans course with a sensory of uh, of, of minerals or chemicals such as magnesium in of itself, calcium in of itself, um, you know, I was able to frame an understanding of what is happening on the palate with water. And over the years, I've become more accustomed to tasting water, if you like. And um, I think that questioning nature, the exposure to experience, uh, of consistent experience and fundamentally the fact that you know i'm quite cynical i don't like selling something that isn't um or representing something that isn't um doesn't doesn't have any integrity if you like you know sure uh, to, to, to the to the rationale behind it you know um it really naps me off when i see waters marketing themselves as low in minerals so great with all wine because i know i've done the tasting with water and wine so i know that that's that's incorrect it's inaccurate but they're just playing on people's ignorance you know and and i really don't appreciate marketing for the sake of making a noise rather than actually representing itself as meaningful and beneficial to the consumer sure and i think that's why the british people are fairly cynical about water with, you know, Peckham Springs and uh, from chemicals and horses and, and all these other, you know, popular cultural adoptions, you know, to adopt mm. a stance of, you know, water is water 
is a popular default, isn't it? I mean, it's an everyman kind of guise. And in the absence of knowledge, wearing the wearing the the, the semantic jackets of the everyman is a pretty safe safe space to be, isn't it? Because then you yeah. know it's out. Yeah, it's pretty um, much, you know, you can't pull the wool over my eyes, mate. You know, don't try and uh, you don't try and sell me a bottle of uh, a, a Peckham Spring, essentially. You know, it's, 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 there's an element of perception of snake oil there. And, you know, with titles like Water Sommelier, that only plays to that, really, because it's a little bit uh, fancy, isn't it? You know, calling, calling yourself a Water Sommelier. I mean, who, who really wants to go to a restaurant? With all the potential experiences they can have, and you know the, the origin of food, and has a taste, and you know the, the wine, and the, the ability to just have a good old knees up and get pissed, and wants to talk about, you know, the where a water comes from, and yada yada, and all the other things that people want to talk about. I mean, it's 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 pretty, ironically, it's pretty dry subject matter, isn't it? I mean, it's not. It's not. It's, <laughs> You know, it's not sexy. It's not really something that that really. It doesn't uh, exactly enhance the mood of the dinner. It doesn't, and it's not meaningful. It's not meaningful. I think that's the thing. It's not like you can say, "Well, you know, here's a riesling, and it comes from this fella's plot of land, and here's the story." And you can nod, and you can sniff the wine while the sommelier is talking, and then you can drink it, and then after a few glasses of wine later, you know, you you, you sum up the courage and just say, "Look." bollock off mate and just bring me the rest of the bottle yeah so, so you know or whatever it is you know water is what do you talk about so um so that annoyed me the fact that there was a sense of differentiation in the water but there's no way of encapsulating or communicating that in a meaningful manner uh so i uh puts these thoughts together and aims to pursue a concept of what I named aquamineralogy. Aquamineralogy is a concept that aims to give a language to water. So what we've been describing hitherto is people trying to articulate what their subjective experience of water is, but it's very difficult because what hasn't really been popularly acknowledged to date is that the mineral salts in water or the absence thereof has a physiological effect on the palate. And those physiological effects are discernible and they're consistent. Um, not to say that waters are homogenous, but that is to say that if you were to give me two glasses now blind of a very low mineral water as categorized by the EU and the UK, because they're mirrored systems so far, which is less than 50 milligrams per liter, and you were to give me a glass of water that is greater than 1500 milligrams per liter, I would be able to identify which one is which a million times out of a million. Yeah? Sure. Because they are so, they are so evidently and obviously discernible to my palate, but not only to my palate, to anyone's palate. Once the link has been made between the physiological effect 
and the recognition of that physiological effect. And here's the key, Omar, is that taste is something that we train and smell is something that we train from birth. Yeah, we have preferences and we, have, we, 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 we know what we like. And we can associate um, all the stuff that Heston does, you know, smells with memories and taste and preferences and associations. and Essentially the practice of gastrophysics, right? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, as 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 uh, as, as pushed by uh, as created by Professor Charles Spence at the University of Oxford, right? And um, it was actually it was actually his is vicariously him that really got me on this path to aquaminerology, and I'll tell you how. He was aware from two thousand and nine that I was researching minerals in terroir. Someone introduced me to him or, or made the suggestion I get in touch with this chap who might be interested, okay? And then uh, he introduced himself and he said he'd been doing some work with Heston Blumenthal, who is the chief experimenter at the Fat Duck uh, restaurants and the Fat Duck group. And, you know, he is, um, he's one of the world's leading uh, gastronomists, if you like, and people associate him with this concept of molecular gastronomy, but basically, He's, um, he's a creative thinker who likes to question things. And that comes to disseminating food. And that fell really in line with Professor Charles Spencer's work of trying to understand relationships between our perception of the senses and food, yeah, uh, or beverages. And um, so I told him about minerals and terroir, and he was interested in that because no one had ever really done a study of how waters can affect the wine and to develop a, a scoring charts thereof that allow meaningful uh, dissemination of positive or negative effects and everything in between. And he invited me to a um, seminar on gastrophysics at uh, his college in Oxford. And I attended, um, and one of the presentations there was made by a chef who'd been working with Professor Spence, and it was, having taken a chocolate and created two dishes out of that chocolate, one presented in a soft, rounded, textured manner, and one created in a, in a crispy, uh, crispy, jagged edge kind of manner. And he asked people to name them uh, with a binary choice. One of the names was Kiki, uh, and the other one was booba. And he found a trend in that people would associate kiki with the chocolates that was crispy and edgy, if you like, uh, and booba with the chocolates that was textured and soft and round, like a mousse, I suppose, or ganache or something like that. And this was based on a theory, um, like a, a phono-semantic theory by this American-Austrian psychologist in the 1930s called um, Rudolf Steiner, I believe. Mm. And, um, and basically, he said that uh, you take these two images, so one is represented by what looks like a fried egg, essentially, or the headlights of, uh, of the ugly Porsche 911 that no one likes. <laughs> 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 is it the 996, I think it is. 
and um, and you take a an image like an outline of a shard of glass, like a, like a broken, like you know, say a smashed window, the hole in the middle of it. So sure. one one one, the outline is 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 like that, and the outline of the other is like a fried egg, and people associate people in the Western world associate the sound kiki with the sharp edges and the uba with the soft edges okay it generally tracks i mean it's not it's not universal but generally speaking most people associate one word with one image now that really resonated with me and that really created a spark because i realized finally that this was the basis of a communicable there, here was a concept that, that the, the symbology of which represented the 3D feeling I had on my palate when I tasted water. So mm. when I so bef, uh, until that point, I'd been telling people, well, some waters are like Evian and some waters are like Volvic, because my palate could discern that these two are different. And I recognized that bicarbonates made a water feel really thick and viscous as in Evian, and also through my tastings until then, I'd realized that calcium made a water feel really soft on the tip of the tongue as well. Pillowy, feathery, you know, really, I know, like putting your tongue into an ice cream or a, a mousse or something, you know, that kind of real softness. And, um, uh, and, uh, and so I realized when I saw this Bubakiki theory that this represented the visual image of water on my palate. So for me, this was a way forward, like a, like a, a hurrah moment, you know, like a, like Dovriga, like, a, you know, Archimedes said, um, you know, it's, it's a way of grappling with a concept that isn't encapsulated by any existing words in the English language. Okay. So, I then started this theory of look, a water's either booba or kiki, and you know, a, a, a playing with that idea. And then I did the water sommelier thing, and and I, I I presented the concept there, and it found resonance with about three quarters of the class. You know, I I, I found out that uh, kiki booba didn't necessarily resonate with uh, Mandarin Chinese because um kiki is a word, you know, is is a, quite a soft word in that language, or at least. Uh -huh one permutation of because mandarin it works on um on um on phonetics really and pronunciation so that you know the same sounds well the same symbol can be uttered five different ways and the way that sure. you say it slow to high pitch and pitch and timbre uh, affects the meanings of the words quite significantly right yeah thanks for articulating it nicely that's that, that's perfect yeah so pitch and tone alters the meaning so it's not exactly analogous but nevertheless uh maybe there's a way of saying it you know um, so, but the, 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 the image is universal. So come January this year, I had the opportunity to sit down and really start investigating this concept with a really good quality, uh, trade professional, uh, hospitality professional. Um, named Ali Razuli Nia. And I first met him in 2014 when he was the wine sommelier at the two Michelin star restaurants at Penny Hill Park Hotel in Surrey. 
Uh, that's the home of England rugby, if anyone you know, doesn't, doesn't know. And um, uh, he was very interested in water then because I'd just come off the back of mineral. Well, I, I told him about minerals and terroir and he visited the spring at Whitehall Springs with me in Somerset. He brought his team along and he took my guidance with water. And, and he, was, you know, he, was, he was a very open-minded thinker and very energetic and curious, um, which, which I, I, I find quite appealing in a character. And um, then uh, he went to Singapore and he ran a wine sommelier at a two Malaysia style restaurant there, uh, run by a Taiwanese chef. And then uh, he came back and ran, he was a GM for Gordon Ramsay's Royal Hospital Road, which is a three Michelin star, uh, jewel in the crown place in Gordon Ramsay's empire. Um, and uh, at, but, but COVID had caused him to become redundant um, because mm. that was how, how, how Gordon Ramsay group responded to that situation. And so he found himself, you know, especially in November when the other lockdown happened, without, uh, you know, with time on his hands, which is quite unique, really, because in his industry, you know, running Gordon Ramsay, he'd be running, he'd be doing uh, 90 hours a week over five days. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So because they closed oh Saturday, Sunday, so that means Monday to Friday, you are really, really pushing the hours, you know. Yeah, all, so, all hands on deck. My God, that's yeah. the same kind of hours that a bloody junior doctor is doing during the COVID pandemic, I think. So he wouldn't really have had the time to... Um, to uh except junior doctor might be doing that over seven days perhaps you know, yeah six, yeah you know? um not that that makes it any any less trying no of course not yeah so you know um you know and and you know thank you to them whilst we're at it oh yeah uh, so so i started working with him in january really capturing the opportunity to work with him and the quid pro quo was i'll train you to I'll teach you to taste water if you teach me how to taste consistently, because it's not very easy to taste consistently unless you've trained yourself because it's a discipline and there's a certain space you have to get your mind into in order to be able to taste consistently. You know, you have to, you have to chillax a little bit, you know, and really focus and focus is quite key to being able to produce consistent results you know, because you have to listen you have to listen to a feeling, you know, uh, 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 if it's not a taste and what's going on, it's uh, in water, it's even harder because it's, uh, there's no obvious cues unless you, uh, you, you, you really are sensitive to them, if you like, you know. Um, so with him, in the process of teaching him how to taste water, I also unpacked my own awareness of what it was to taste the water and how. and we started to really make great strides in developing this methodology of tasting water. So i.e. what aquamineralogy would consist of, what it looks like, what it, what it, what it is. And that entailed a three-step process. So, you know, I was telling him one day, you know, he, he, he was really struggling to understand how to taste water and he was really frustrated with himself that he couldn't get it. And so I was telling him one day, look, you know, you've really got to understand water in, and break it down to the stages in which it has an effect. So first of all, is the feeling on the tip of your tongue. And next is the feeling on your palate. And the, 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 far, the last is not only the feeling when you swallow, but the legacy of the minerals afterwards. Yeah. So let's call it uh, tip top tail, I said to him. And that 
that that that simple summary resonated with him and me. So we based our uh, our our methodology on that on that format of tip top tail. And so the sensory training really is built around training the palate to recognize the um, the indicators of minerals within water at the various stages um, that we described, tip, top, and the tail. And so we started to taste more, and then we realized that we could disseminate the minerals and water quite consistently. So some I already knew, some we discovered more about. So for example, um, calcium has a physiological effect on, on, the, on, the, on the palate and on the teeth. Um, magnesium does indeed make the water feel wetter, if you like, you know, you referred earlier to watery, you know, um, uh, and bicarbonates, they make the water feel viscous, um, and not just the individual minerals, but the density of minerals um, also have an effect on the palate and are discernible. So as part of the training, we'll give someone a sensory in three very similar rich mineral waters and using the mineral thumbprints, if you like, or the mineral flares, as I like to describe them, we'll teach them to articulate and recognize the difference between those three very similar waters on their palate because of the nature and the character of their waters. And I think it's important just to pause for a moment here and to clarify for the benefit of the listener that when we would train, we would use natural mineral waters and as opposed to something that isn't a natural mineral water. So unless it has natural mineral water on the label, it's not a natural mineral water. And the significance of that is that a natural mineral water is essentially a, a water that's protected at source and it has to be bottled mm. at source. And it's, it has this, has this provenance that we talked about earlier. Uh, if not terroir, fine, you know, that Omar sees terroir and I see provenance. Um, but it's a protected characteristic of a water from a source, i.e. it's unique and it's consistent. So we can really do this with, um, let's say, tap water, which might be variable, or we can do it with smart water, for example. which Or, or Kirkland, which is probably one of the most um, uh, popular bottled waters. Well, Kirkland actually is uh, is perhaps an accidentally unfortunate example because it, it, Kirkland is bottled by Crystalline, effectively, and that is some oh. local source that they own um, up in um, the middle of the country somewhere. Uh, and and that is, yes, classified as a spring water, for sure. Mm. Um, so uh, it may or may not be consistent. It might be in a natural mineral water, all but name, you know, because they, they haven't bothered to... Um, to, 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 to get that certification or uh, we're getting a bit technical here, but sure. the, a spring water for the benefit of your listeners, you know, which is what Kirkland spring is. I think well, last time I checked a spring water is a brand. So if you drink Highland spring, you're not drinking Highland spring from the Highland spring, which is a single spring. You're drinking a brand that captures good quality mineral water from a variety of sources, but the source isn't the driving definition on the label. Whereas on a natural mineral water, the source has to be the most prominent thing on the label. And it can only be from a single source, a protected single source. So uh, Evian, for example, is from the Evian source. 
Highland Spring is from a number of sources, or could be from a number of sources. So that's why they have a typical mineral analysis on the back of the bottle, as opposed to a, a, an actual mineral analysis. So, right. So, 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 so when we're tasting waters, we are working with natural mineral waters because we know sure. that they'll be largely consistent over the duration of time that we'll be repeating these training exercises. And some of these waters have been bottled for over 100 years. So chances are they'll still be around. And if not, it doesn't matter because the principles are the same and, you know, we could just find other waters to train alongside. So, so really, aquamineralogy has put us in a position where we can consistently identify the presence of certain minerals in water on the palate. And we can recognize the level of minerals in the water, the density of minerals in the water. So we can recognize a low mineral water, a medium mineral water, and a high mineral water. That's one of the, one of the, one of the challenges that we'll put to, to, to people who are being trained, is to recognize that using the methodology. And they should be consistent 100% of the time because the, the methodology is, is really well thought out and it's really effective. And it really does enable uh, the recognition of mineral salts on the palates consistently, which is, uh, which is a world's first, essentially. It's never been done before, as far as I'm aware. Uh, the, you know, perhaps the, the, the other courses accepted, but I mean, they, they haven't popularized that knowledge, uh, if, if that is the case. And given the people who have attended those courses that I've spoken to, I very much doubt that forms part of the training either. So essentially, we've created a world's first in the UK by, by pushing this, this theory and this knowledge and really forcing a, uh, an understanding of what makes water different. Because innately, we can all sense a difference in water, just like we are pre-programmed to react however we do to vinegar or decomposing foods or whatever. We can we can sense a difference in water. Our palates are super sensitive. You know, I mean, imagine how many taste buds a typical tongue has, and that's notwithstanding the twenty five percent of the population that are super tasters, which have a greater density of taste buds on their tongue, or the twenty five percent who are um, whatever the opposite of super tasters are that have about twenty five percent less taste buds mm. on their, taste receptors on their tongue. Um, you know, a typical, you know, we can all, we can all, I'm convinced, we can all sense the difference in waters on the palate innately. I'm convinced of that. And I've trained loads of people over the years, even in basic, you know, this versus this, you know, uh, and, and, and unless you are purposefully belligerent and you refuse to acknowledge the, um, the phys physiological effect of the mineral salts on your palate or the absence of mineral salts on your palate, you can't avoid but acknowledging it because it's not a choice, it's a physiological effect. And so you really have to, well, right, you really have to choose to, 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 not, to not listen to that, you know. So, okay, yeah. this is I mean, you're, 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 you're always going to get what I like to call the taste like chicken chap, you know. It's, no, it's, I, it's, I, you're, you're, you're always going to get one of them. Um, you know, you put chicken, you put beef, you put vegetables, everything you give them, oh, it tastes like chicken. <laughs> you know, it's have, uh, many years ago. I did a taste test before uh, a, a hotel in Northern Ireland, Belfast, um, called the Merchant Hotel. Did a water menu, and they got they got um, 
media from all over the world because they they stopped our iceberg water and they sold it for 50 pounds a bottle whoa media from all over the world was fascinated by this i mean you know they're okay yes it was partially designed but partially i mean they bought the bottles from us for 10 20 quid but by the time you stick them on a pallet and ship them to northern Ireland, you know one pallet costs tons i mean yeah and that was only like 50 cases so it's 200 quid so it adds four four pounds to a bottle already and then they add their gross percentage margin of what say 85 percent whatever it is plus amplified a little bit for their marketing i mean it was a it was a really popular pr success for them and as part of that so i flew over and i did a taste test for a number of journalists and the waiting staff there as well and uh we did the Evian versus Volvic sensory and um I asked people to articulate it you know using the kind of words you pluck out of thin air like we do sure you know, because it doesn't have any words and one what the BBC journalist came in late he came after I'd introduced the um Evian versus Volvic to everyone and everyone had a chance round table to contribute to to articulating what the effects were and there was a consensus that they were different right and then this chap walks in and uh like oh yes okay well for your benefits let's just repeat this i'd like you to taste both glasses and just to articulate what the difference is and he tasted both and he said uh he said they're both the same and everyone everyone jesus everyone said oh come on get out of it you know because they'd already been through that process of uh, of acknowledgement if you like so I don't think it was groupthink because what I subsequently know is that there is a definite difference in them. Um, and I knew that at the time as well because of the minerals and, and you know, those, those can be trained and articulated. Um, so, and, and it's quite obvious in the case of uh, Evian Volvic. So any, any listeners here who uh, want to get on board themselves and haven't already listened to your previous podcasts, you know, buy a bottle of Evian, buy a bottle of Volvic, uh, room temperature, clean glass, Ideally, a thin rims glass for, 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 and a wide rims glass as well, not a narrow one. Um, and just um, taste each water and leave each water on your palate for a little while and, uh, and just see what happens. And then, and, then, and, then, and then determine for yourself whether there's a difference between the two. Uh, make sure your palate's well hydrated beforehand. That's another thing I'd add. Um, so, Back to aqua mineralogy, we're in a position where we can train people how to tell the difference between mineral waters, okay? Uh, but is that enough? No, because that still leaves us with a gap of recognizing and articulating and, and sharing the concept. So how do I hashtag my favorite water experience to, to my followers on whatever social media or how do i exchange the idea to other prospective omars or michaels or curiosity project listeners out there who might be interested in you know humoring themselves and learning more about mm. a particular subjects and just you know exchanging ideas shooting the shit you know whatever it is so i disseminated the concept of Buba Kiki and broke it down into a modular format that correlates to the tip-top tail methodology, which essentially breaks down the words into components or the concept into components, and then rebuilding them together constitutes eight unique experiences of water or eight ways of defining water. So therefore, 
a water has eight faces, if you like. Sure. There are, there are eight experiences to be gained from interaction with a natural mineral water. Well, with a water, but consistently through a natural mineral water. And those are the basis of a phonosemantic language that we've aimed to create with aquamineralogy. So part of aquamineralogy, what we're, aimed at, what we're aiming to create, and I say aiming to because um, number one, we haven't, uh, we haven't pinned it down 100% just yet. We're, we're inch away, but we just need to finalize it. And secondly, the syllabus and training plan are being written at the moment, um, hopefully to be ready for August or September, at least September in a final guise. What we aim to do is to train people in how to not only consistently, let's, let's, let's willfully use the misnomer taste, yeah? So how to consistently taste the minerals in mineral water, but also to articulate those differences with the words to describe them. So water will now have a word, it will have a character, it will have a, not only a word, but a symbol to describe the water. And the symbol is very powerful because it echoes this sense that I first got from Buba Kiki, which is that looks how it feels. Mm. And the looking how it feels is a very important component of people onboarding universally with the human experience of water on the palate. And so their language is really secondary to the visual language, the, sim the symbology language. Um, and so really what I aim to introduce to the world with aqua mineralogy is a universalization of a language of water. So an articulation of what water can do on our palate and how waters differ and are similar in terms of their experiences and what people prefer and don't prefer. And uh, really it's as simple as that in a way. You know, if you like. Yeah, simple it, as that, hey? <laughs> but it involves an element of training, but I think there's also an element of familiarity. You know, I mean, I, I did, a, I, I did a, a, a sensory introduction to aqua mineralogy for the Somalia team of the Fat Duck recently, and, uh, and for their wine team, and there was a barista there as well. And uh, we had a couple of hours, so I just did a high-low, a high-low natural natural water and so non-carbonated taste with them and um that went down well you know they they obviously experienced something they've never really experienced before so that was a really potted version of aqua mineralogy for them and that had a, a tremendous effect you know they're interested in being trained further in aqua mineralogy because all beverage training hitherto it focuses on aroma and taste uh, whereas aquamineralogy, it focuses on physiological effects and 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 uh, the sensitivity of the palate to texture. Yeah, I think I, th I think it's really it's th this this has gotten me fairly excited to be completely honest. Now, everything that you've just been talking about, I've been privy to, kind of, you know, have first hand. Um, knowledge of all of this. I mean, as yeah. you've been making these uh, advances, these dis these discoveries, you know, you and I have been talking about these things. You've been kind of, you know, uh, trying to get uh, getting my 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 take or my view on some of these things, which has been yeah. really really fascinating and really interesting. 
Yes. Um, so the benefit to me of having someone like you on call, uh, which has been a great pleasure because, you know, you first contacted me to ask about mineral water. And yeah. I recognized from the off that you were interested uh, because of the subject matter rather than because of sensationalism. You know, and that was a great tonic to me because the common narrative in the UK regarding water is the is how far it's brought and how unnecessary it is and how the comparisons to tap water stack up. So it was it was nice to actually talk about the merits of the subject matter in of itself, um, uh, with with a, with an open minded thinker. And you know, along the way, you've been a useful sounding board to kind of benchmark the plausibility of certain uh, lines of thoughts, you know, and, um, and, and largely, I get the sense that I've been on the right tracks from your feedback, you know, which has been quite encouraging, because I'm, I'm quite open to criticism, and I find it quite helpful. But largely, we've been on the right track, you know, in terms of where we're going with this, I think. I totally agree. I mean, you know, it's been an interesting journey, not only to, to witness, but all, but to also play, albeit a small role, some kind of role in, in this in this process. Um, because there have been directions where it's been going where I kind of see it not appealing to mass market. And I think that's the important thing. You know, there is a clear discernible um, uh, infrastructure that has been developed by Professor Charles Spence and, you know, his um, aiding chefs, let's call them, you know, whether it's Heston or or the, the numerous other chefs that he's that he's worked with. Um with regards to gastro experiences, with regards to how you ex how you can accentuate the experience of a steak, or um, you know how you can change the uh, sensory experience by putting something in a different coloured plate, yes. um, or music, you know, or music, or music, yeah, or music, or or even uh, you know providing an in, uh, an endorphin rush uh, before you start eating your. Um, um, before you uh, before you start um uh before you start eating you know uh, encouraging laughter before you start eating and how that can affect how your brain interprets uh, uh eating eating food there's another link i forgot about this um i i proved a very a very early version of this concept when i was contacted by a very well-known restaurant critic called jay rayner and he's a big bloke uh, who's uh Who's, who's a, I think he's the observer, uh, food critic, and uh, he's also an author, and um, uh, and he's a you know guest critic on MasterChef, and uh, generally you know a good old round bloke, you know he's just he's just a big bloke, you know, just like and he contacted me and he said I'm writing this book and I'm researching on mineral water and I'm wondering if you could teach me about water. I'm not quite sure how he found us, but there you go, he did the right thing. And so I created a water tasting flight for him in order that he could disseminate the difference between sparkling waters. And that started off with a tasting of still water, Evian versus Volvic, just so he could discern the difference between minerals on his palate. And this process was actually described in his book, The Last Supper. Yeah, that's what it's called, his book. And um, Basically, I introduced him to Evian versus Volvic, and I said, look, you know, this is what you want to look for, this thickness, this viscosity versus et cetera, et cetera. And in his book, he describes it as, you know, he was talking about the minerals and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. But then 
when I mentioned the concept of buba kiki in order to make it analogous to my interpretation of Evian and Volvic, and then told him about this theory that I'd got from this seminar by Professor Charles Spence, all of a sudden he got it. So mm -hmm. he, went from, he went from healthfully cynical and slightly doubtful to open-minded and appreciative of the concept and it, it struck a resonance with him and it actually had an effect. The effect that I intended, the effect that I believe the minerals uh, is analogous to the mineral experience. And he already knew Professor Charles Spence and he was already aware of the theory of Bubakiki. So this concept out there had already shaped and preconditioned someone who was familiar with uh, the concepts uh, that had been done by Professor Charles Spence as well, obviously, because he's, he's so impactful with, with his, uh, his, his influence at the very highest levels of gastronomy, at the really experimental areas, that the trickle-down effect of that was that man in my office being introduced to two different waters, thinking this is a load of baloney, and then all of a sudden the light switch went on and he was able to see exactly what it was that I was trying to, to convey because of the because of the, this visual concept um, and semantic concept of bubakiki that mirrored the feeling of minerals on the palate. Yeah, and I, you know, talking about this kind of trickle-down effect very, very, very quickly um, is, and, and, and I, I think this is probably one of, the, one of the final points that I'd like to make, is that, that there is this, you know, very, very firm structure when it comes to how you experience your food, how you taste certain things, how can you how how you can enhance things, and we've gone so far as to even try and understand how laughing or 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 being upset before you eat or whatever can actually interpret the way that your bot the way that your mind recognizes flavors and enhances your own experience. We've gone to that level, and like you said, it's fairly experimentative. Um, and unfortunately, when you're dealing with things that are experimental in nature, that are um, you know, hot or whatever you want to call it in nature, it's fairly, the accessibility is fairly limited, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, look, is, is someone going to go out of their way and make sure that their strawberry ice cream is in a white plate as opposed to a black plate in their, in their own home environment? I highly doubt it. I mean, I know about this information and I'm not going to do it, you know? Okay. So, um, the people, it's the people that curate the items that you buy from a preferred retailer might be influenced by that, just like the uh, popular designs on the high street are influenced by last year's catwalk. Yeah. Yes. It's the trends that are set, right? So, so someone somewhere has to set a tone of appreciation. So they, they are relevant in a way. Yeah, of course. Of, of course. But, you know, um, yeah, at the end of the day, am I, am I going to be kind of going out of my way to, to achieve some of these experiences? Probably not. Probably not. Which I think, you know, an interesting discussion maybe to, to have with Charles Spence later on down the road is how can we take some of these gastrophysical uh, aspects that you've come up with that work very well in the restaurant environment? How can people mm. start to apply that at home, you know, to provide themselves with an easy to easy, easy to achieve uh, enhanced gastro experience? I think that could be quite interesting and maybe something that's a little bit missing out there. But the, the disappointment that I find in reading all this work is the lack of research on water. And at the end of the day, people, the accessibility of water, even a great expensive bottle of water, is significantly more accessible than a great piece of meat. 
you know, that is just fact. You can go on your website, you can buy a Vichy Catalan for not a lot of money up front. It's much easier than going out and spending 50 or 60 pound a Wagyu steak to experience that, right? I mean, that would be a that would be a comparative scenario for me. It's really accessible and it's something that's, in, it, you know, you buy a case of water, it, it, it lasts for a while, doesn't it? And it's, it's, and it it's good. It's, it's not as if it's bad for you either. It's a natural hydration. So it's a really... Well, I mean, for, for yeah. You know, like for, for, for me, it's, it serves a purpose. I mean, I drink Vichy Catalan after my coffee to curb the effect of a caffeine spike. Because of the potassium levels. Yeah, precisely. Like, not a lot of people know that. To quote yeah, and, and that's what I learned from you. Um, you know, which is, it's like I said, it's been fascinating because what you've done for me is you've curbed this wabi-sabi. Listen, I love wabi-sabi. I love it. You know, most of my life I live off of the romantical aspect of, um, you know, Japanese workmen sitting there weaving denim, which has now been proven that selvage denim isn't actually much different to normal denim, but I still buy selvage denim, <laughs> you know, so it's, 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 it's interesting. Most of my life is run off of this wabi-sabi thing, but when I'm putting things into my body, um, I, I try not to use that to govern my way of thinking, which is why I've always found the teaching, um, uh, the, the, the teaching aspects of people like Martin Reeser to be a bit mm -hmm. disillusioning for the, for, for the, for the average man. And yeah, in, I, in that respect, I think, go ahead. I, I think the issue, Omar, is that there are no words to describe water. Indeed, well, which, how, which is, which is shocking. Well, how can you, well, well, it's not really shocking because it's not really easy. I mean, it's taken, it's taken me with a questioning mindset. Okay. 10 years to formulate a theory. Okay. I'm not sitting in a, in a, in a tent with a harem on disposal and endless grapes and thinking time. You know, it's not no. like, a, it's not like I'm living a life of privilege, but nevertheless, it's taken about 10 years of navigating my way through all of the, all of the actual and meta actual, you know, beliefs in water to land on a consistent and repeatable theory that I can actually train people and say, look, this is how you taste water. This is the name you give it. That's what it looks like. You know, that, that is completely and utterly unique. And even when I did minerals and terroir, that was completely and utterly unique, but the world didn't want to know. They didn't understand. They weren't ready. They, they just didn't want to accept it, really. It wasn't really that significant because you can't really monetize water in the same way that you can monetize wine. You know, it's not as exciting. There aren't the professions associated with it. The training bodies aren't geared towards it. There isn't really that knowledge. So really, you know, without a word, without an idea that people can then grapple with for themselves or a concept, it's really hard to share the experience, you know, so, mm. so it's really about the sharing of experiences, you know, uh, in order to get it out of my mind and into anyone else's. So this is really what I've, I've grappled with with aquaminerology is to create something that is fundamentally significant. So it's, 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 it has a real logical robustness to it. And, Indeed. And that's really what I want to build the, 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 the Institutes of Aquamineralogy on is this basis of 
determinable understanding. So look, it's grounded in natural mineral waters, which are highly regulated. There's a chemistry behind them. You know what they are. It's not pie in the sky. It's not like, well, look, let's take our water and pip up poof and add some qualities to it. It's, uh, it's based on regulation and very specific tests that are done. So we're working off really robust material here. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you're you're, uh, the thing is, is that like, like I was saying, I just to kind of reinforce this point is, you know, unfortunately, there there is this kind of romantic nature of water tasting. And the 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 problem for me, and I think the, the the great solution that you're providing twofold, number one is this, this change of semantics from water sommelier to aqua mineralogy. And I think that's very important because at the end of the day, it's you have to start from the minerals and walk, work your way back from there. Yeah, the water sommelier still exists, just that water sommelier is catered for what it is that I aim to do. So they're entirely cohabitable, but aqua mineralogy is the recognition of mineral salts on the palate and the language to describe them. You know, that it's, it's enti- water sommelier doesn't profess to do that. Of course, of course. Um, but I, I think that is the right approach with regards to aqua mineralogy. You have to start from the minerals and work your way back from there. You know, yeah. that's where it starts at the end of the day. That's where the 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 uh, the experience is 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 starting, and that's where that legacy is created in the let's call it an aftertaste. It's a misnomer, but that's the only word I can possibly think of right now. The the aftertaste of the water in your mouth, um, on your palate. So. You know, I have to say it's extremely exciting for me as someone who's become very passionate about this in the experiences I've had with you, with the different waters that I've been tasting. It's been very, very exciting. Um, And I have to say when this idea of tip top tail, which I think, you know, you guys are on a uh, you guys are on a winner with this one uh, is developed further. It would be great to have you back as well. Maybe we could go through it in a bit more depth. Maybe we could do a joint tasting as well and see if we can put this tip top tail um, idea into function with someone like myself. Yeah. I think that could also be very, very exciting. Yeah. But I have to say, Michael, for now, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and learning about um, aqua mineralogy and introducing it to my audience as well. So I have to thank you for that. You're welcome. Uh, it'd be really it'd be great, great to hear what the comments are and see what, uh, see what people's thoughts are, because uh, it's, uh, it's something obviously really quite new and innovative. And uh, so it's nice to be on the edge of something and uh, to get people's feedback. So, uh, you know, any feedback's useful. But it's been a pleasure talking to you too, as always. I appreciate it, Michael. And just as a final thing, if anyone uh, is new and hasn't listened to my initial episodes on mineral water that I did with Michael, I'd highly recommend go back. You know, that was a version of me who was uh, fairly new in this entire thing. Uh, was very interested, very curious, and was learning. So, you know, if anyone's new to this, go back, have a look at that. And I was probably in the same situation you are now. Um, so I think it will be interesting from that point of view. But Michael, for now, once again, it was a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to having you back. Nice one, Mark. Thanks to you and your listeners.